0: Hey, and welcome to Things Worth Learning. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. This is a show where a curious computer programmer, and that's me, interviews fascinating people about their passions. My guest today is Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist, public speaker, and the host of the absolutely freaking amazing podcast that everybody gets freaking out when they know that I get to talk to you, Therapy for Black Girls. Dr. Joy, thank you for being here. Could you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and your personal and your professional life so we can get to know you a little
1: yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to chat with you again. So I am Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. I am a psychologist in Atlanta. And like you mentioned, I'm the founder of Therapy for Black Girls. And so my background professionally is really in college student mental health. And mm-hmm. so every campus that I was on, I would find myself running a group for the Black women on campus. And so I kind of have been talking about the fact that I've been doing therapy for Black girls before it actually had the <laughs> name Therapy for Black Girls. Yeah. Um, and so it's really just, is very cool cool that this is kind of how I get to spend my days and how I get to support myself and my family um, because I'm very passionate about mental health, especially as it relates to Black women and girls. Personally, I am a mom and a wife. I have two sons, ages eight and five, and we are, like I said, living in Atlanta, well, outside of Atlanta. For the people who are actually familiar with this area, <laughs> we're in Lilburn.
0: There's a rap song that just yes. came out and it's literally, she's like, blah, blah, blah. is not Atlanta. Blah, exactly. blah, blah. And we're like, okay, right. not
1: Atlanta, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but for the rest of the world, it's Atlanta. Exactly. I'm in Decatur. She definitely said Decatur's not Atlanta. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, thank you so much for the intro. So you know that the first question I always ask is, do you have any sort of life mantra or phrase or idea that you like to live your life by?
1: Ooh, I feel like I have a couple. So okay. one is do great work. I okay. I feel like that like can it. kind of translate across lots of areas of our lives. But another I learned working with a business coach, Maya Elias, who talked about there's a message that comes through us that is not for us. And so anytime Whoa. I am feeling anxious or, you mm-hmm. know, like, oh, how are people going to receive this? It really is a reminder to get out of my own way because mm-hmm. there's a message that often comes through me that is for somebody else to help them in some area of, of their life.
0: I just got goosebumps from that. Um, Ooh. That's re- so I give conference talks and most of my conference talks are for people who are beginners. And I always get this imposter moment where I'm like, everybody's going to be totally bored by this. This is totally old hat. They're going to think this man's so dumb because you're sharing this. And then, and I have to ask that hit that moment every time of like, I, my evaluation in this moment of what I'm going to be interested in is not the point here. I'm just trying to do the thing. And so if I had had that, like I'm, I'm stealing it now. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> it is yours because to I, have. I, I really appreciate that. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So you know that the podcast is about one primary topic. And of course, there's a million things we could talk about. And maybe one day when you're not writing a book, we'll talk about something else. But today, can you tell me the one main topic we're going to talk about?
1: Yeah. So I really want to dig into, Matt, with you, the importance of giving psychology away. Mm -hmm. And so when I when I think about that, I think that it really touches on so much of the work that we do at Therapy for Black Girls. And so the Mm -hmm. idea is that psychology is not meant to be kind of hoarded by those of us who have gone to school for all these years Mm -hmm. and like only in journals. Like it really is meant to be distributed to the people who can actually use all this stuff that we have been learning about? Um, and so, and I think that with the podcast, with our community called the Sister Circle, with the things that we do on social media, like all of that is really designed to give psychology away to people who may not ever enter a therapy office or who can't afford to or have other reasons why therapy or something may not be a fit for them. It's really designed for people to get what they need and then, you know, grow those plants later in their lives.
0: I love that for so many reasons, but there's also so many, so many responses you can imagine. Cause obviously, like when you say give away, especially I went to very expensive school for all these things, and now I'm gonna give away the things I learned. Like the immediate response we often have is, but how are you gonna make any money? Yeah. And I understand that for starters, this is actually something you're making money on, but it's curious to me, like, can you tell me a little bit about why? especially with psychology, you think that this is something important. You mentioned that people, there's a lot of people who might not actually ever get into an actual therapist office, psychologist's office. Right. Can you talk a little bit about why, especially relative to anything else you might want to give away for free, why psychology? Like what's the benefit to the world and to people that having this information available to everybody, not just those who can get into a psychologist's office?
1: Oh my gosh, man. I mean, well, let's just look around at the world, right? Like there, <laughs> right. there's so much pain and so yeah. much harm and just just difficult situations happening right now. And I think that as psychologists, we are in a lot of ways uniquely trained to help people either be able to prevent pain and damage or to deal with and healthily move through any pain that they do experience. And so I think we are doing ourselves and our, our humanity a disservice by not sharing what we know with people who can actually use it and make the world better and make themselves and their families better by using it.
0: Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And, and so we can we can assume that the whole world benefits from this information, right? It helps our healing. It helps us presenting being hurt in the first place. Then I think it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion, yes, we want everybody to have this information. So then it's like, well, how, how do we do things where it costs a lot of money? And just so you know, there's a lot of parallels in my industry of like, I did all this really hard work to become the best programmer. And now you're saying I should give it away for free. So we have a lot of the same things. So how do you find, like, what is it? I guess what are the internal conversations and maybe conversations with others who are saying you're crazy do you have justifying or making the decision to say regardless of the fact that I paid all this money and you paid all this money for these psychology degrees and everything like that, it's worth doing it for free and this can become a sustainable way of doing it anyway. And I don't know if that makes a lot of sense as a prompt, but I'm just kind of curious. Are are there any conversations you remember or things you've thought yourself you're like, if I give this away for free, how am I going to be able to support my family? Have you kind of been thinking anything like that over your journey in creating it?
1: So, you know, Matt, I don't know that it necessarily needs to be given away for free, though I think that much of it can be right. So when I Mm -hmm. think about giving away psychology, I am often thinking about, you know, for individual therapists in their practices. Right. Like if you are, let's say, somebody who helps clients. Manage panic symptoms, right? Like you find yourself over and over again working with someone to learn how to like bring down their symptoms of anxiety, how Mm -hmm. to manage a panic attack. Like there are probably things that you're doing over and over again that could then be bundled into a YouTube video or could be bundled into a workbook that you share or some kind Mm -hmm. of webinar or course that you share for people to take. And I think. You know, there are ways that you can financially support yourself, but Mm -hmm. when you put yourself out there with, like, a specific message, then the money will always come, right? So somebody who is working at some, you know, billion-dollar corporation runs across your video on YouTube, and now they want to pay you to come in and do a training for their staff, right? And so... Of course, you know we sadly, I think, in some ways, live in a, a capitalist world, and so we do have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and our families. So money is important in that aspect, but I don't know that that should be where we lead because the money will always come. At least that's been my experience, yes. and I so I think that. you can't you can't always lead with okay. How am I going to immediately profit off of this? Because yeah. sometimes it is a longer game. But I also really feel like, especially with what I do with therapy for Black girls, I want People with deep pockets, like the billion dollar corporations, to pay me Mm -hmm. so that I can then give this away to black women for free. Right. So there are people who have hoarded all of these resources that can Mm -hmm. pay me, and then I can let everybody take this webinar for free. You know, so I I think that that there are lots of different ways we can get paid for our skills and expertise Mm -hmm. that don't necessarily um, involve like one to one exchange of money.
0: I love that. And it's so interesting because you would assume there would be. Get the billionaires to sign off first, and then you can give the free stuff away. But you're actually talking about being the other way. You say, look, I'm going to give this stuff away. I'm going to create these online spaces, and that is actually fortuitously going to put me in a situation where now the people are going to come knocking, and that's really cool. It builds your reputation and all that kind of stuff. And it's like I said, it's a parallel in the programming world where... A lot of people, I think I've coached a lot of people to give as much stuff away as possible because if we're all just trying to help each other, first of all, it's the right space to be in. And that's where you started, right? You said the first thing is let's just do this because this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. However, also, since we do need to still kind of pay for food and stuff like that, it is amazing to be in a place where giving that away earns you reputation. It it allows the decision making process for people who don't have the ability to call every psychologist in America to say, oh, this person has bubbled up to the top or every program in America, oh, this person's bubbled up to the top. And in my company, our reputation primarily came from me writing blog posts and giving conference talks and making podcasts for free. Mm -hmm. But now everybody knows who I am. And then my company now gets hired. So there's there's definitely a parallel there. But it's outside of what we're taught to think, right? Mm -hmm. We're taught to think that like you must charge money And so anyway, if the answer to this is no, that's totally fine. But it feels like this is like a sociological kind of like way of thinking about, I don't want to say redistribution of wealth, but the first thing I thought of was like Robinhood. Is there kind of like a basis that it came to, or is this something that was just more natural for you to figure out?
1: Yeah, I wish I could say that this has always like been the plan, but (laughs) you know, really it is just something that I have like figured out continuing to run the business. Right. And, and, and I also think that, you know, I was doing therapy for black girls before it like became my full time job so this has always yeah. been something really important to me mm-hmm. but it along the way I figured out there are people who will pay you a lot of money, one, because they believe in the work that I'm doing, but also I'm really good at what I do. And so yeah. realizing that I can get like some of these large checks from, you know, major corporations then allows mm. me to kind of redistribute the wealth or make these services available to people who may not have the resources to be able to talk with the therapist or, you know, do some of these other things.
0: I love that. So, I mean, I have a million different questions and you can kind of guide me in any direction you want to go. But one of the things I was curious about is like, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about, you mentioned that we should give these away and you didn't say always for free, but regardless, it's putting these resources out there, especially because a lot of people may not ever find themselves in the place where able to be in a psychologist's office. Uh, There's a lots of different reasons behind that. But do you have any thoughts about like, if you, if there's a change you could make in the world? Other than just putting resources out there, are there any changes that you would really love to see in the world that made it more likely for people to be able to be in the office. And I don't know if these are financial and sociological changes, or if there's getting rid of some of the stigmas around therapy or whatever else. Like if you were to see like, man, if I could just make this one change other than the huge change you're already making, which is making this out there, that would make more people have access to this information through actual face-to-face conversations. Like what would that look like?
1: Well, I definitely think there's more resources that need to be given to community mental health. So for the past, Mm -hmm. I would say 10 to 15 years, we've seen significant cuts in community mental health programming. So a lot of the hospitals that existed even five years ago don't exist anymore. A lot Mm -hmm. of the community clinics have been closed because, you know, people Mm -hmm. look at funding lines and mental health isn't always the place where they are spending money. And so I would like to see more money being paid, you know, given to that. But I think, you know, even before we get there, I think that there are just some ways that we as a society damage people's mental health before like there are things we could be doing in a prevention kind of a way that would make it so that you don't even necessarily have to come and sit in a therapist's office right even though therapy is great i think for lots of different reasons but you know taking care of issues with people who don't have homes so homelessness or unhoused individuals really being able to put more funding into people having like safe and stable housing i think can do a world of good in terms of Mm -hmm. mental health concerns as well as pay equity you know so if we are Paying people seven dollars an hour, um, like that—that money, and especially with gas and all of those things that are so expensive
0: (laughs) right now, two gallons
1: of gas. Yeah, it's just not Not stretching. It's—it's not going very far. And so, I think Mm. that there are lots of different ways that we can take care of people so that they can tend to their mental health, so that they don't have these stressor after stressor that we know depletes our mental health. Like that is where I think resources can go if we really want to be serious about paying attention to our country's mental
0: health that's funny one of the things we joke about in programming is that like you 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 people will do things in programming that are job security, right? Like you do something that requires you to be around long term, rather than doing the thing that allows you to get And It's like, if you're purely just talking about like capitalism, you're like, well, of course, I want to keep getting this paycheck. Mm-hmm. But if you care about your client in the programming world, you want to do the best work for them. So they don't need to pay you anymore. And I'd love how similar that is to what you're saying. You're like, I look, I like that y'all come to me and we can do some good work together. But I'd rather you didn't need to come to me in the first place, right? <laughs> right.
1: That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And um, again, you know, and- there are lots of different reasons why people come to therapy, right? So, you know, more severe mental illness is definitely a reason to talk with a therapist. And that is often where people come to therapy Mm -hmm. is when there's been some kind of a crisis, right? But it is important to know that you can talk with a therapist before a crisis even arises. So just because you want to have healthier relationships with yourself and other people, or you notice that it's difficult for you to be assertive or, you know, like anything Mm -hmm. that you're recognizing, there's something I don't like about this and I need somebody to talk with or get some new skills around. All of those are reasons that you could talk with a therapist.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate that because I, with my therapist recently, we made this like really wonderful breakthrough. And we were talking about – she's like, oh, you learned how to set boundaries in this way and you've been working on this for five years and now you've had this wonderful couple of weeks of setting boundaries. So we're done now, right? I was like, we're not done. Let's just move to the second thing Go on the list. Like, there's <laughs> Yeah, right? But yeah, no, but it is very nice to have worked through – I don't know if I would call that an immediate crisis, but it was causing lots of little mini crises. Yeah. And to have gotten to the point where that's not a big – painful regular problem that's contributing to depression stuff like that was really big but i was like that doesn't mean that there's not all the other things that you listed in and many more to be talking about so when you are creating therapy for black girls a lot of what you're doing is kind of picking particular topics to talk about for people what is guiding you kind of even deciding what to share are you kind of like Is as you talk with people and see kind of stuff happening in the world and work with your own clients, are you like then saying, oh, I need to make sure I bring somebody on or what even motivates you and helps you guide like what people need to hear at any given moment?
1: Mm -hmm. So I do need to share my caseload is minimal at this point. I I have one to two clients that I still (laughs) see like on an ongoing basis, but largely, you know, I've not been accepting new clients for a long time. And so much of the content that we talk about on the podcast is one, either taken from just kind of what I see people talking about, like in our mm-hmm. community. So on our social media channels, in our sister circle community, what I'm watching and listening to. So, you know, those mm-hmm. of you who are familiar with the podcast know I love pop culture. Um, so yeah. I'm always watching a bunch of stuff on Netflix and Hulu and all of the places. And there's often some mental health under, you know, undercurrents mm-hmm. in some of those pieces. And so I try to bring those to the podcast. Uh, but I also have an incredible production team. Um, and so mm-hmm. they are also, you know, thinking about like okay what's going on in their worlds what's happening in their friend circles what are they reading and so it really is a collaborative effort around the kinds of things that are you know kind of being discussed in our community and what we think it would be important to share with them
0: Mm. we also have a very robust
1: mailbox for our community so people Mm -hmm. are always sending us suggestions and things that they want to hear more about
0: yeah when you said that with the with the social media thing, it was reminding me of the fact that I've found more and more lately that a lot of like the, I don't know if this is good or not, you can tell me, but a lot of the best kind of internal conversations I've had with myself around especially relationship stuff has come from memes on Instagram put out by <laughs> like, I don't know the guy's real name, but Young Pueblo and like all these other various people and, mm. and Ned, Nedra Tawab, I think yes, her name is. Nedra. And <laughs> these various people are I'm like, oh, I really when I see something from this person, it is, it's is—it's not just kind of like one meme that like tickles my fancy and makes me feel good about myself. Every time I see something from this person, it challenges me or it encourages me or whatever. And so I was like, cool, like this is now my like free therapist. And like you said, like I'm now going to buy every book they ever put out. I'm going to do, you know, whatever. And I wonder, do you have any thoughts about, because you mentioned that that's like one way for people to put out these work, workbooks. Are there any things where you, you see them like, like really good signs of what's happening in the world of like memeable psychology or any things that you're concerned about where you're like, like, oh, I see this happen and I kind of wish it weren't. Is there anything kind of you have any strong feelings about? <laughs>
1: Matt, I feel like you are like eavesdropping in my group chats oh, no. <laughs> um, because we talk about this quite a lot. Okay. So, so like you just mentioned, right? I think that there are really great, there's lots of great content on social media that is designed to like spark an interest and help you think like, oh, is that something I struggle with? Maybe I want to bring right. that up to my therapist, right? And I think that if it is used in that way, It is really good. But unfortunately, what has happened is that people who don't always have the best intentions or maybe don't even have the training to know what they don't know, I think Mm -hmm. have recognized how engaging this kind of content is. And so then people are just sharing a bunch of stuff that isn't always backed by anything clinical or anything research-based. And so if you get too far down that rabbit hole, then I think it can be harmful. So using it as a, as a catalyst to like learn more about something or, you know, to kind of take a next step, I think can be great. But what I would encourage people not to do is to spend all day, like searching through these Instagram (laughs) accounts and, you know, kind of taking in all this content and picking yourself apart because that's not helpful either. You know, so I think taking, you know, pick and choose what you need and then leave the rest there
0: that's helpful and it's, you know, the algorithms, like I'll like one, exactly. one more of those. And then it's like, here's 50 more. And they know how to do that. They're like, oh, here are the signs that make one of these look like they're reputable. Yeah. Like it's a picture from his book. And so then they start picture, take, printing out a piece of paper or take a picture of it as if it's actually valid and, and, but it's total crap. So anyway, I'm both discouraged and encouraged to hear you say that because it is a real thing. It's just such a bummer that it's like, wow, we're going to capitalize on anything to try and kind of like get more views or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the original kind of topic of conversation is around giving these psychology resources out for free. But you also mentioned the fact that your specific experiences has been giving out resources for black girls. I understand that some of that has to do with, the, that's, the, that's a group of people who have historically not been given resources at the same, like the level of specificity and care. There's also some you know like uh, stigmas with, with uh, psychology and therapy and stuff like that in some of the black community. But I'm curious for you, how much does it look different providing psychological resources for one particular socio demographic group or whatever versus another how much of it is hey look this is the same stuff we're just contextualizing a little bit and how much of it is like no each group also has obviously you know no group is a monolith right black women are not a monolith but like how much of the work of providing care and psychology resources for one particular demographic group versus another is the same with a little bit of contextualization and how much of it is, no, we all have like really uniquely different things based on our presence within the community, within our country and all that kind of stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say it's more of the latter. And, you know, I I feel like I can't, completely speak to like what it's like to offer services to other communities because for so right. long my <laughs> right. like, singular focus has been black women. But there is so much about like how we are socialized in this country, the history of slavery in this country, like all of that. You cannot separate mental health from all of those social experiences and so when we're thinking about you know talking with someone about like going to a therapist well how many people have parents and grandparents who have ever seen a therapist right like how many of us come from households where spiritual and faith practices you know are directly against that and so you know when you're thinking about like what does mental health care conversations look like in the community it just looks very Mm -hmm. different Um, there's also so much related to again how black Black women are socialized to kind of be the strong one in their circles, right? So we got to take on everybody's stuff. I can't let people know that I'm struggling or else that looks weak. Um, You know, it's not okay to cry. Like all of these things, when we're talking about mental health, all of those things don't necessarily exist in other populations. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, panic attacks for Black women may look the same as they do for Mm -hmm. other women, but there's all this other history and context that you have to get through before we can even get to the panic symptoms.
0: Yeah. That's really helpful, and I mean I know that the the purpose of our conversation today is not you know the specific you know therapy and psychological needs of Black women, but I do at least I wanted to kind of point at that for two reasons. One because I think that I have a lot of friends. So I, I know there are a lot of people whenever they hear something is contextualized for a specific group, especially if that specific group is a historically marginalized group, where they're just kind of like, well, why do they need their own special space, right? And I don't love that that's a question that gets asked, but I also know it's always going to get asked. So I even though that's not the point of our conversation today, I at least wanted to give you a second to kind of answer that. Mm-hmm. I think – but the other aspect of it is that that you answered in a way that is, makes it clear that that's not just relevant to black women. Like each group has a unique space and experience – based on the history, based on how culture treats them. And like, you know, like, and there are specifically contextual experiences. Like for example, for me, I come out of a really conservative religious background. And so talking to therapists who understand that background versus those who don't has been very helpful for me. Right. While I'm not dealing with the history of slave, slavery or you know uh, colorism in the media or whatever, I still have things that impact me that are relevant to my particular experience and it's helpful to be able to find people who understand that particular thing. So I think for, you, for for what you're saying here, I both wanna really affirm everything you've said about black women specifically, but also just for other people who are like, well, I'm not a black woman, what do I get from that? Well, first of all, hopefully understand that black women need this mm-hmm. and black men and everyone else, But also for you, there might be particular things about you that make it so that you can receive a particular type of contextualized help. Is that, does that make sense? And, and and having said that, does that kind of prompt anything else or you're like, yep, cool?
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I get asked that question sometimes, not often, but I do get that mm-hmm. question sometimes, like, has there been any pushback on me creating mm-hmm. therapy for black girls? You know, every now and then you will get some kind of troll or, you know, but but largely nobody ever told me that I couldn't. And cool. so okay. why wouldn't I, right? Like if it, if it <laughs> right. felt like work that I was called to do that, that clearly feels very needed mm-hmm and important, you know, why can't I do that work? You know, and I think the other thing is that when you think about, you know, so yes, the organization is called Therapy for Black Girls, but there are lots of ways that therapists historically have had therapy for white women, but it wasn't called that, right? But yeah. if I visit yeah. your website, and all I see is white women on your website, <laughs> Wait, it's making then, it clear. <laughs> then subliminally, that's the message that you're yeah. giving me. And so, you know, I think that that is such a a funny, because for lack of a better word, question, because nobody ever questions if they go to a website and they don't see any Black people pictured, how that's excluding lots of other people. But because you see the name is very explicit, then there's all this conversation about, well, what does this mean? And, oh, if I had a therapy for white girls, it would be a big deal. Well, lots of (laughs) therapists actually have therapy for white girls and just don't call it that.
0: Yeah, they'll just name it. Yeah, and well, I know we're kind of getting close to the end of time. So before I ask you the last question, is there anything else about this particular topic that you wanted to cover today?
1: Well, I just think it's really cool, you know, how how you can use both traditional media um, platforms, but also some of the newer like social media platforms to be able to give psychology mm-hmm. and mental health away. You know, so we've already kind of talked about like memes and things on Twitter, but I do want people to think about, you know, are there workbooks that you could create? That would mm-hmm. allow you to share psychology or the things that you know. Can you be a guest on a radio show or a podcast? Can you be a yeah. guest on a news station or some kind of you know news program to be able to give the information away to the people who might actually be able to use mm-hmm. it? I think that that's really important, especially for you know people who are doing a lot of like research, so academics and clinicians mm-hmm. who are kind of head down in their office. There's probably yeah. something that you can offer to even your immediate community that would be super helpful. And so I want you to think about the kinds of things that you find yourself repeating over and over again and think about yeah. how can I make a very low-entry, low-level, 101 version of this thing and offer it to people and just see what happens because you just never know.
0: Yeah, so that's really interesting to me because when I'm talking to programmers at my company, I often say, hey, that's a really fascinating thing you just shared. Can you go write a blog post about it or whatever? And the imposter syndrome is huge though. So I feel like – I know, I know how to talk to programmers, right? I'm able to talk them through like, oh, this is something useful to new programmers or whatever. What's the message to people more in kind of your industry? How do you tell someone who says, no way, nobody would want to hear this from me or blah, blah, blah. Like what's the message to them?
1: I mean, well, just look how much random stuff you Google. Right. And we think, <laughs> right. it's, you know, every time I kid you not, every time I need to take a screenshot on my MacBook, I have to Google how to take a screenshot on a Mac. And you would think, you would right. think that I would just write myself a sticky note, but I don't. Right. And so, right. again, I, I think that that's a silly example, but we think it's silly because it's like I mm-hmm. lived experience. It's what we're living yeah. and breathing all the time. But there's somebody who, who is at a lower level. Who needs the exact thing that you feel like, oh, That's this so will good. be silly to write about? So That's I think, so you know, you, you mentioned blog posts. And I think that blogging is an excellent, excellent way to, one, yeah. get your name out there. So, again, for people who are interested in growing your expertise and, like, being a thought leader in some particular topic, blogging is an yeah. excellent way to do that. But it is also, again, a free resource for somebody who could be looking for an answer to a question mm-hmm. that they are struggling with that you can offer with very little, you know, time or, you know, expansion of your resources
0: as a programmer i can also say that blog posts are googleable in a way that radio interviews and other stuff aren't and you can throw a blog post up without having to get a you don't need a agent to get yeah. on a blog post right yeah. like i've been blogging and doing these things for years and i've still never been on radio and tv and it's something i'm hoping to do this year so that's a that's a big gap Blog post. I literally just said, "All right, sign up for." I was blogger at the time. I don't know what it'd be now—Squarespace or whatever. Just Mm -hmm. type, type, and you can also type it for a month and get all your friends to read it and review it before you put it out there on the internet, right? So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like. Find those easy ways. And then once you get validated in your blog post, then maybe somebody's going to see your blog and they're going to be like, oh, can you come on my radio show or whatever? Mm -hmm. And then you know, slowly you get more and more comfortable realizing that people actually want to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah. And you know, man, I also want to add, people are probably blogging without even recognizing it. So all of the Mm -hmm. time you're spending Mm -hmm. responding to comments on Facebook and all of the long Twitter threads and Uh responses on Instagram, all of that could be a blog post, right? And so don't just save your best stuff for a property that you don't own. Own, bring yeah. your good stuff to a property that you actually That's own, so that good. you can get the SEO benefit from, and make them blog posts. That's a really good idea to, to a I good low level way to start.
0: So go yourname.com, set it up on Squarespace, get those blog posts open. She said SEO, the search engine optimization. So what that means is basically if somebody's searching about your particular area of expertise and your blog posts keep being the answer to that thing, then you're going to get further and further up when somebody's searching for that. And you don't have to get on the radio. You don't have to get on TV. Just write that stuff. Amen, Dr. (laughs) Cho. I love that. I mean, this is my world, right? So I'm like, yes, come on, let's do this. Look at the
1: connection between the world. Right?
0: Synergy, whatever. (laughs) All right. Anything Uh, else you want to cover in this primary topic before I I ask you our outgoing question? We can talk as long as you want, but if there's anything else on your plate. No, I
1: don't think so. I don't think there's anything else.
0: Okay. So, you know, my last question is what insight or support did you receive or need when you were younger that you hope that more people will give to others?
1: Ooh, I think the, the thing that has made all the difference for me has been community and support. Okay. So, you know, I kind of, biologically and born into a family with just a lot of people. Like, my mom yeah. has 10 siblings, so I have lots of yes. aunties and uncles, lots of first cousins. Yeah. Um, so there's always been, like, a ton of people around for me. Mm-hmm. But I think even if it is not something that happens naturally in your family, there are people in the community that you can surround yourself mm-hmm. with, to who can support you, who can answer questions for you. I think a lot of times we get in our heads and we just don't ask for the thing that we need or does somebody know somebody. Mm-hmm. I think even that's how I even met you, met was, like, yeah. Trying to find somebody to help with the Therapy for Black Girls website, right? And yeah. so, yeah. you know, I think just asking for the thing that you need and letting the mm. community actually support you is is a very untapped gem that a lot mm. of us are leaving on the table.
0: That's awesome. It's funny because, not to get too deep on your, your, your answer there, but when you ask, you have to be open to share that you don't know in the first place, right? Ooh. And so, like, not only is it good to ask, but it also puts us in a place like, I don't know if you heard – um uh, Brene Brown, she did a series of podcasts about her dare to lead book that she's just put out. Mm-hmm. And she I'll put these in the show notes for anybody else, But she did just two episodes on her free podcast saying, "Hey, here's a teaser for this podcast. I don't know if it's paid or it's only in Spotify or whatever. And one of the things she talked about was like healthy versus unhealthy leadership practices in i sh- I think she called them daring leadership versus guarded leadership. And the whole idea was basically, like, openness transparency all this kind of stuff allows us to then be leaders in these really healthy ways and one of the things she talked about was being a knower versus a learner and she talked about as a knower you have to always have this kind of like armor around you of i know everything and i need everybody to think that i know everything because if they think i don't know everything then i'm gonna look like a you know useless failure or whatever and if you're a learner you just go from this posture of like oh really tell me more and wow, what a change it makes in life where you don't have to keep this facade up all the time of just knowing something. And plus now you get the benefit of all these resources. So I just wanted to kind of connect those. I really appreciate you sharing that because it's not other people doing something for me. It is me changing my posture so that I can receive what is already there to be given, if that makes sense. Am I hearing that right?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. I love it.
0: Awesome. All right. So last question of the day. If somebody's super interested in you and they've never heard of you before, which is wild, but whatever, what does it look like to follow you, support you, continue to kind of learn from what you have to share from us?
1: hmm So I am at Hello Doctor Joy across all the places on the internet. And my personal website is hello dot com. Um, but I'd also love for you to visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com to just learn about all of the incredible resources that we have that are dedicated to black women and girls' mental health.
0: Awesome. Everything will be in the show notes, everything we've talked about will be in the show notes, all podcasts, books, all that kind of stuff. Definitely check it out. Dr. Joy, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you spent time with us today in general because you have so much wisdom to share, but especially I know how busy you are. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate
0: it. And the rest of y'all, until next time, be good to each other.